I'm not usually very much into shows like how it's made and stuff like that, unless I need to know how it's made because I want to make it, right? So, but a few years ago, I was sitting in my kitchen when I was living in a house with some really awesome guys like Anthony and our friend Vadim and our friend Lucas. And I'm sitting there and I'm spending time with the Lord at our kitchen table. And I'm just like, Lord, just show me something about yourself. I'm, I just want to know more about you and your kingdom. Like, I just want to know more about you, right? And I'm just sitting there kind of like waiting, trying to like be silent, not just talk and talk and talk and then hang up the phone. Like, you know what I'm saying? So all of a sudden I look over at our paper towel rack and this thought pops into my head. It just goes, interesting, like there's probably so much work that gets put into making those and then you just use them and throw them away, right? And so I started to look up how it's made on the show, how it's made. And so, exactly. And so... Um, it's actually a long, weird process. I have a picture of a small part of it, but that's about it. It's, it's, whether it's trees or recycled, uh, whatever, paper towels, they're really ground up into this small, fine pulp. They're watered, they're bleached, they're watered, they're cleaned, and then they're flattened, and they bond together, and then they go into these long rolls like this. They flatten them out again, dry them, and then they roll them on this, and they cut them, right? Then they package them, and they ship them. All of that, very intentional, just to have something thrown away. Now, the idea is that that's what they're meant for. They're meant to be created, used, and then thrown away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But we and you were not created for that purpose. Yeah. So what usually happens with us, and I don't know why multiple times this week, I've been thinking about it. The mission teams have heard me say it at least two or three times. But there is someone that really does hate all of you, that hates me and hates us. He thinks of us like filth. He hates us and wants us to die. So you and me really don't matter to the devil at all, right? He literally does hate us. And it's not because we're actually worth hating. We're not worth the effort, to be honest. It's mainly because he knows that God loves us. And he hates God so much that as long as he can hurt him, he'll do whatever it takes. Does that make sense? So he wants to kill you because you matter to God. And if he can kill you spiritually or make you dumb and miserable, then he can hurt the Lord's heart. And that's all that matters. It's like those those relationships in TV shows where one girl wants to make or vice versa wants to make the other person jealous. So they can start flirting with someone else. The middle person is always just kind of the victim that doesn't know what's happening, doesn't understand why. They're just used and then thrown away like a dirty paper towel. Right. And so he uses you to get to God and then will throw you away like a used paper towel and then just move on to the next one that he can get to. You only have value to the devil because he can hurt the Lord because of you and using you. He wants you to love and work for anything, anything at all in the world, things that are actually not bad in and of themselves so long as you don't love and be near God at all. So long as you take steps away from him, steps away from what the Bible says, then he's happy. You can do whatever you want. You can have all that life has to offer, because as long as you're not with the Lord, you will end up, we will end up dumb and miserable, and it will make him happy because it causes the Lord pain. The devil's greatest joy is God's greatest pain, which is when we kill ourselves. So, anyways, last week... We said that we're going to have to serve somebody. 
It doesn't matter. You don't have a choice. You're either going to serve yourself or you're going to serve God. And depending on who you serve, you're going to have one of two attitudes that we're going to talk about tonight. And so I'm going to invite my friend Clay up and we're going to continue our parable from last week on attitudes or the topic of attitudes from this parable so that we can see which attitude we most align with. And the evidence of that will show who we most likely serve. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So Clay's going to come read our scripture. Woo! For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a, ooh, that's a word I don't understand, <laughs> um, de- denarius, thank you, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who had hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who have hired, or these who were hired last, worked only one hour. They said, "And you have made them equal to us who were born the burden of the work and the heat of the day." But he answered to one of them, "I am not beginning, or I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give." to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Woo! Guys, there's so much. It's ridiculous. It makes me want to literally recap everything from last week, but we're not going to do that, um, so you'll just have to listen to it. So it was pretty funny. I was listening to a a great hero of ours named Winky Pratney, someone we very much love. I love that. That's so cool, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Shannon loves Winky. Recommends him to everybody. So anyways, Winky's telling this story about when he was preaching in another country. And he had to use a translator because obviously the majority of them didn't speak English. And so at the end of this sermon... A woman comes up to him and she begins yelling at him and shouting and seeming like she's going to have a conniption fit or an aneurysm or something, right? Something's going to happen to her. And he couldn't understand what she was saying, but with great discernment, he discerned that she was pretty angry about something. So he he looks over the translator. The translator looks at him and says, well, she's saying this. She's saying, you're saying... Or what you're saying, you have no right to say. You have no right to say that all women should be slaves and have no rights. You have no idea what we fought for in this country. And Winky looks at the translator and says, oh, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell her, tell her what she's saying is right. Like that is what I'm trying to say. But tell her she's only half right. And then say, tell her that I want men and women to be slaves. I want them to be slaves to the Lord Jesus. Because you already are slaves to something. Like we said last week, or as Bob Dylan has always said, revelation from God, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be God, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Don't fool yourself and think otherwise. So the Bible says that we are all slaves to the one we obey, whether a sin leading to righteousness or obedience, or sorry, a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. We are slaves to someone. And there are two groups of people in this parable that we're going to talk about. So we're going to pray and ask God to give each one of us insight into which we are and the apparent outcome of each one and which one we closely align to. Does it make sense? And what we do proves who we tend to serve. So we're going to ask the Lord to help give us discernment for that. Okay? So let's pray and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit. You have to open eyes, Lord. You have to be here. Jesus, may hearts be softened. May hard hearts that have been trampled on be softened tonight. May love and laughter have softened hearts. May the peace of your presence be here. May the goodness of your presence be here so people know that you are not here to hurt them. You're here to prosper them and to love them and to help them not be miserable and done. Jesus, you are so good. Help us know that you are not that you are not selfish, Lord, that you are trustworthy and so good. Yes, Lord, no one's going to be able to see that and know that without your help. So, Jesus, you have to be here in the name, be here in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So in the 19 or in the 1990s, there was this guy that came up with this very unique intelligence test. And he would go to elementary schools and then he would also go to colleges and he would give eight year olds and then college students this test. And for some reason, the eight-year-olds would always pass, and the college students would sometimes pass. So this guy would draw a big circle, right? And he would say, okay, this circle represents the value of God, his entire creation, everyone in it, their happiness, their value to him, and everything he wants for them. And this little dot that's zoomed in and magnified a uh, hundred times over, that's you, and that's your happiness, that's your life. And then so he'd ask this question. He would say, now which one's bigger? And the eight-year-olds would get it right, and the college students would pretty much get it right too. And he'd say, okay, good job. This is great. We're getting somewhere. And then he'd say, okay, now who should you think about then? Who should you consider before you do or say things? The eight-year-old would very quickly say, oh, the bigger circle. And the college students almost never got it right. So how come an eight-year-old can get an intelligence test like this right, but most college students, at least back then, can? A child can look at this picture and know just by reason alone that a child has that the bigger circle is more important than the smaller one. But the older we get, this for some reason begins to be less clear. We come up with reason after reason why the small circle is more important than the bigger one. Does that make sense? And it's because of the, fir- the worst four-letter word known to humankind in the English language. It's called mine. Does it make sense? 
This is the attitude, this my attitude, is the attitude of the first workers in this parable. It's the attitude of an independent spirit. So an independent spirit is usually evidenced by only being concerned and occupied with its own desires or his or her own desires. So why do you think you see Christians that are not willing to take, make disciples like the Lord asked them to or commanded them to? Because his desires don't align with theirs. Did you realize that essentially last week, not even once, did we even ask why Jesus told this parable in the first place? We never asked it, never answered it. But it was because he wanted to warn his friends about this attitude. So right before this, he has an interaction with a very rich young man who decides, I love my money more than I love you, so I'd keep my money over you. Thank you. And then afterwards, he says, it's going to be very hard for anyone who's rich in anything to get into the kingdom of heaven. It'll be really hard. And then his disciples are like, well, who's going to get into heaven then? And then Peter goes, well, look at us. Like, we have left everything. We've left our family and our friends. And then he says, therefore, what shall we get? We've done all this, so what about us? What are we going to get for this difficult thing we've done? So what is the problem? Peter's heart was occupied with himself. What could Peter get out of following Jesus? So as a result of this problem, Jesus tells this parable. And we said it last week. That when you deal with someone who is selfish, you always have to deal legally. That's why when you hire someone, you sign on a dotted line. So that they trust that you're going to pay them and you trust that they're going to do the work. Because selfish people can only be motivated by what's good for them or bad for them. Does it make sense? Reward and punishment. If they're going to be rewarded enough, they'll do it. If they're going to be punished enough, they'll do it. Make sense? That's how selfish people are motivated. Because it's an attitude and a heart that is occupied with itself. So the landowner, at the very beginning, makes a legal agreement. We agree for a denarius a day. <clears throat> the independent spirit is always occupied with itself. So Peter says this, your attitude, or Jesus says, your attitude is just like these first laborers, concerned with what you're going to get out of being with me. Because an independent spirit can also be evidenced by these next few things, you establish your rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. If I'm going to serve God, I have a right to these things. Yeah. Or they always talk about what they deserve or what they should be getting or the rights they should have. Or, for example, they always have conditions for things. I'll do this if this. I'll make a contract with you, Jesus. We've done this. Therefore, what will we get in return? Or they ask things like, what's the benefit for me? And Paul talks about this in the letters to the Philippians. He literally says, I wish I could send, or he says, I really hope I can send Timothy to you guys because there's no one else there that has the same spirit as me that will take care of you because everyone there is interested in their own desires yeah. and not in the desires of the Lord. So I can't trust that anyone's going to really take care of you because they're too concerned with themselves. So I really hope I can send Timothy because he, is, he isn't like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. There's no one anyways. <clears throat> so it's sad that Paul can't find someone to take care of his friends. And isn't it even worse that God can't find his so-called Christians to make disciples like he's commanded in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in John 16, in Acts 1, in 2 Timothy 2? Isn't it sad 
that there is very few Christians he can find who will actually fight for his kingdom. It's often because we're too occupied with our own interests. We're too occupied with school. We're too occupied with our relationships. We're too occupied with our pursuits. We're too occupied with the hurt and bitterness we have with whoever. We're too occupied with our need to be liked or to have attention or to be comfortable. The reality is, it's not that we're unable, it's that we're unwilling. And there's a great example of this, great model of this. There's a student in Kyle at Texas Tech. He's a med student, and he still leads a small group. So that kind of breaks the curve for everyone. I'll give you a great example. You never have to convince a guy or a girl who like one another to hang out together. When you like someone and you want to be with them, you'll move mountains to do it. You'll study at 2 in the morning rather than at 8 o'clock during Chi Alpha, like supposedly everyone has to. You'll move things till tomorrow. You'll reschedule. You'll skip work to be with this person you like. It's not usually a matter of can't serve God. It's a matter of won't serve God. It's always about what we want. You can identify this person because their their desire, and this is good for us who have been around the Lord for a long time, their desire is always to be ministered to, not to minister to others. Does that make sense? So a person will join Chi Alpha or join a small group or become a small group leader because they think they can be ministered unto really well. I'll be taken care of really well. They want to serve God, not to minister, but to be blessed by Him. Does that make sense? People get unhappy with small group leading. They quit. They get discontent when it gets hard because they didn't get out of it what they wanted. But the Lord was getting out of it what He wanted, but that didn't matter. This is the attitude of the first laborers. They didn't want to minister to the landowner. They wanted to be ministered unto by Him. We will do this for you. If you do this for us, it's an independent spirit. And at best, an independent spirit is evidence of immaturity. At worst, it's evidence of a lack of being saved. The attitude of an independent spirit is always occupied with itself. So, but Jesus wants people who want the work, not the rewards of the work, which is the... It's a good description of these last set of people we're going to talk about. So these other set of workers get hired like this. It says, the landowner went out and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, well, you guys go too into my vineyard and I'll give you what's right. And then the Bible says, so they went. Now, everything I've just said is hard to hear. And it's hard to hear because it's true. And... This has happened before to the Lord, so you're not going to offend him if it's hard to hear. Because he was speaking in the synagogue one day, and what he was saying was hard to hear. And people literally said, this is a hard saying to hear. Who is supposed to follow this? How are we supposed to do this? And then they end up, it, the Bible says that um, they ended up leaving. As a result of what he said, many of his disciples, people who were following him, left and didn't walk with him anymore. So when people began to hear that the kingdom of God was about God, right? When they heard that the kingdom of God was about the big circle, not that little dot that is ourselves, they're thinking, well, this is a hard saying. This is a hard standard not to be occupied with what I want. Who can follow this? 
And Jesus looks at his 12 closest friends and he says, well, what about you guys? Do you want to leave too? And then Peter has probably one of his smartest answers in the whole Bible. And it's one of my favorite. And he says, Lord, where else am I supposed to go? Who else am I supposed to go to? I know that you are the one that has the words of eternal life. So one time I took Robin on a date and I do that more than one time. But I don't know why, but I really like surprising her without her knowing what's happening. I don't like to be surprised. So I asked her if I could blindfold her to take her somewhere. And I didn't think she would actually do it because I had a horrible experience with this. In high school, I was asked to be blindfolded to go somewhere. And the whole time on the drive, I thought that I was, thoughts were coming through my head that maybe this girl had been paid to drive me off a cliff and jump out of the car. And I just walked right into her hands. So I'm sitting here thinking this for about 30 minutes, not knowing where we are. And so I was really surprised that she got in, but it was obviously awesome because she married me. Um, I think it was that date that you said, I should marry you. And I said, I thought so too. But, <laughs> but anyways... Robin didn't think that about me. And so why would I freak out in the same situation I put my own future wife in and she wouldn't? It's because the whole time, I didn't trust the girl that had me blindfolded. I didn't trust who she was. I don't know why I was talking to her then. But my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she did trust me. Does it make sense? So this is why Peter and his disciples were like, why would we leave you? Where else are we going to go when everyone else did? And it's because they loved and trusted him. So these next set of laborers, they're hired. And the owner says this. He just says, hey, you go work in my field and I'll pay you what's fair. Now, I don't know anyone in this room who's probably been hired like that. Where you're just like, you go over to Starbucks and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll work. And you just give me what's fair. Because we know that everyone is out for themselves. So you sign a contract saying that you're going to get minimum wage so that you make sure you get what you deserve. Does it make sense? Because you can't trust selfish people. So anyways, God isn't like that. Yeah. right? The laborers went into the field because for some reason, in some way, they knew they could trust him. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God operates on a higher principle in this world with a higher attitude. It operates with the attitude of love and trust. So why is it that people don't trust God? It's not like he says, I'm the good shepherd. I beat my sheep. He doesn't say that. Jesus wants followers who ask for no reward, and they don't care about what they get out of it. They delight only in the work because of what it's for. God's standard for attitudes in his kingdom are that people are more focused on the kingdom than on themselves, on themselves. And if God's desires line up with mine, then great. But if not, then great. It doesn't matter anyway. So there was this missionary to Algeria. Her name was Lilia or Lilius Trotter. Right? And near the end of her life, at the end of after decades of living in scorching heat, going through sicknesses, having her home attacked by radical Muslims, getting sick over and over again, watching people she led to the Lord be attacked and poisoned, never to be seen again. She never lost sight of the one that she called the master of the impossible. And her biography says this. It says, in her final moments, she saw a chariot and six horses. Did this chariot take her to heaven like it did with the prophet Elijah? We don't know. 
but we can be assured that the trumpets of the angels sounded at the arrival of the Christian warrior who dared at the call of the invincible Christ to leave earthly comfort, to leave ease and fame and friends for an unknown land. And there's this poem. And where he died, I would die also, for dear is a grave besides him than a kingly place among living men, the place which they denied him. She loved and trusted this invincible Christ. The greatest attitude of the kingdom is love and trust. We serve God not because of what we get out of it, but because we get him. We love and trust him. All God wants for you is to not sin and be stupid. Now, if you want to be miserable and dumb, then okay, like I get it a little. But God wants you to be happy and for you to be smart. Selfishness and an independent spirit is living to put yourself first as if you're the biggest, smartest person in all of the universe. Which when I say it, sounds pretty dumb. Because it's not only bad, but stupid. God is this treasure in the field who is more valuable than anything else in the world. He is the pearl who is so great there is no price of monetary value to put on him that would be enough. He is worthy of being trusted because he is the smartest. He is the most powerful. But on top of all of that, he is the most unselfish and the most good. The kingdom of God operates in the attitude of love and trust. This is the attitude of a servant. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean by a servant? The attitude of a servant is that their mind is always occupied with the things of the owner. A servant's heart is occupied with the things of God. In Jesus' day, servants were very well taken care of, but they weren't servants so they could be taken care of, but so that they could serve. Does that make sense? So, for just a quick moment, don't call yourself a servant of Jesus if your mind is occupied with yourself. Because if you call yourself a servant and follower of Jesus, people are possibly following you in the absolute wrong direction, and that's your fault. So don't do that. A servant doesn't have an independent spirit. They have a submitted one. In God's house, you will be taken care of, but we're not there so that we can be taken care of. We're here because we want to serve the master of the house. That is the mind of a servant. It's not about what we get. It's about him. The kingdom attitude is to minister, not to be ministered unto. This isn't supposed to just be the description of our relationship with the Lord, but our relationship with each other, too. Love and trust for one another, not apathy and suspicion. So I'll give you a great example. This morning... I was at the Jesus exhibit on campus with Sarah, and we were talking, and she was telling me how this week she was a little sick, and then she ended up getting pranked the other night. And that's always kind of fun to do, but there was a point where she possibly thought, dang, like, my car got it worse than everyone else's. Is it because of me? Like, is there, like, do they not like me, whoever this was? And then probably not long after, which she told me this to this morning, she goes, but then I realized I was just being dumb. It was just a prank. They wouldn't have done it for that reason. Now that is the attitude of love and trust for with one another. 
When you have the option to think the worst about someone or others, you find every reason not to. You find the smallest reason possible to love and trust them, even when all the evidence suggests otherwise. An independent spirit has an attitude of apathy and suspicion. You're suspicious of everyone. Why is this preacher guy saying this? Did my friend tell him something? No, it's because your sin will find you out. Always. This is the attitude. Well, the Bible says that. Taylor didn't say that. I need to make that clear. Too many people get upset with Kyle because we say, do what the Bible says. And they're like, what? Do what the Bible says? Kyle was horrible. I'm like, you're horrible. Anyways. So it's the, this is the attitude of the kingdom. And the kingdom standards are higher than the world standards. Always. It is hard to love and trust at all times. Not anyone can just do it. Only people filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with a love for God and His kingdom can do it. Because it is hard. When all evidence would suggest your friends are out to get you, you find every reason to believe they're not. Does that make sense? So I'm going to invite Justin to come back up. And as we finish... Like I said before, you're going to have to serve somebody. Don't fool yourself. Whether it's yourself, whether it's the world, whether it's the devil, or whether it's God, you're going to have to serve somebody. The independent spirit serves themselves. They're occupied with their own interests. The independent spirit looks at that little dot and says that it's the biggest, most important circle in that picture. An eight-year-old would disagree. This attitude, as Winky Prattney would say, is not only unreal, but it's unsmart. It's not smart. So do we complain about things because we're just not being ministered unto enough? Yeah, that's good. What is the source of why we're complaining? Are we upset or discontent with small group leading or serving God because we're not being blessed like we thought we should have been? If you want things your way, then one of the scariest verses in all the Bible is actually in this parable. It's just for you. It says that Jesus told those laborers, those first ones, that were very like self-centered. He says, take what is yours and go your way. So what is yours? We have chosen ourselves at the expense of others. We might not see that the expense that others have paid for us to choose ourselves, but there has been a cost. Selfishness has hurt people. Selfishness has hurt God's heart. Selfishness has ruined God's world. Cancer doesn't exist because of God. It exists because people didn't follow him because they chose selfishness. I want to do what I want with my new. I don't care what it means. So the same heart that says I will do what I want with my time is the same heart that caused things like this. And legally, biblically, what is ours is an eternity without God. That is legally what is ours. When he says, take what is yours and go your way, he's saying, okay, take what is legally yours and go your way. But remember that people are going to follow you. You guys are going to be future mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, and your families will follow you directly where you're going now. And if it's not towards the Lord, you're going to kill them. So, But if you call yourself a servant of God, you call yourself a Christian, 
but you have this mindset of what do I get out of this? Where's my, where, when am I going to get what's mine? You want to minister, but you also would like to be ministered unto a little bit. Then you need to repent of this mindset completely. Because sometimes working for God, you're not going to be ministered to at all. Jesus does say that the ox that treads out the grain does have a right to eat of it. You don't muzzle it. And sometimes there's corn on the ground. Sometimes there's grain. But other times there's just bare dirt. And it doesn't matter. You don't do it for what you get. You do it for who you get to serve. We serve God for him, not for us. Dick Brogdon said something really cool. He said, when Jesus calls a man to come to him, to come to himself, he calls him to come and die. All of this is about Jesus. So long as we have Jesus, it doesn't matter what we have to do. It doesn't matter what we don't get. So again, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're walking towards one of these two kingdoms and your attitudes, either of love and trust, a servant heart, or of an independent spirit will evidence where you're going. And I I know, Lord, would you show my friends, show us where we're all at in the name of Jesus. So we're going to have a time here again, like last week, at the altar. We're going to have a time to be with the Lord. And if you don't remember... From last week, the altar, the reason we do this is because the altar in the Old Testament is a place where things go to die. You go to take, you take something to the altar so it can die. If you have an independent spirit that's consumed with what you want, with what you get out of things, then it has to come and die. Because that's not the attitude of the kingdom. You have to come down and you have to tell the Lord in front of everyone, well not physically, like audibly, but you have to come out, come down in front of all your friends and let the opinion of this world die in front of people. Because to stay in your seat would make it a secret relationship, a hidden one, a little secret thing with the Lord. He doesn't do that. Either you do it in front of everyone or you don't. Either he's worthy of all of you or he's he's not worthy of any of you in your mind. And so if you have an independent spirit that's been full of yourself, that's been full of what you want and not what the Lord wants, that's hurt the Lord in his kingdom, that's walked towards the kingdom of darkness, then you need to let that die. You need to come down here and tell the Lord that you don't want that. If that's not what you want, you need to tell him exactly what you feel. You need to tell him, I'm doing this. I don't know how to stop, but I want to. And then you need to tell your small group. You need to tell your friends because then you can actually walk it out together. Does that make sense? If you don't want to be a servant of selfishness that leads to death, but a servant of Jesus, then you have to come down here and tell him. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian worker, and you've had this attitude of suspicion or apathy towards what the Lord wants from you, and not of love and trust of either him or your friends, then you need to come down here, and you need to let that die, because that is not an attitude of the kingdom. And if you sit in the seat... Being willing to live with it, please don't call yourself a servant of the Lord because the the Lord's servants have a mind that's occupied with Him and not with what they want. Because other people are going to follow you when you call yourself that. And you need to come down here and let it die before Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and the altars are going to be open. And after any staff that need to also be with the Lord, after we spend time with the Lord as well, we want to pray over you. And we want to pray for you. And we want to... Does it make sense? So...
I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open the altars for a little bit, okay?